pleasure to welcome you all this morning as we've gathered together to, uh, to worship. And I would like to uh, draw your attention to our call to worship in Psalm 86. Psalm 86 will serve as our call to worship today. Psalm 86, bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy, you are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great, and do wondrous things, you alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life. And have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do come before your throne of grace recognizing that we are poor and needy and that we're absolutely and totally dependent upon your grace and your mercy and your care for, for all and for everything. And so, Lord, we come in submission and we come in dependence, Lord, and we also come to offer you our, our worship and to give you praise for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are our creator and our sustainer, and we thank you that you are gracious and merciful, full of compassion, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth, and we give you praise and thanks. And Lord, we thank you for your great gift to us in Christ Jesus, sending him to live a sinless life and die on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in us to make us alive and to grant that we can respond to the gospel with repentance and faith and working to produce his fruit in our lives and to enable us, empower us to do that which is pleasing in your sight. Lord, we give you praise this morning. We offer you our worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord, we submit to you and ask that you grant us grace and peace as we seek to be the kind of worshipers after which you seek, those who will worship you in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn to hymn number one. Hymn
right, now let me encourage you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 21. Paul has had a brief stop uh, in Miletus where he called the elders of the church at Ephesus to himself and he gave them a charge and a warning that uh, wolves would come in after his departure and he uh, gave them the test, uh, his own ministry, compare the ministry of his to the ministry of wolves so that they might be discerning. And then in chapter 21, he resumes his trip to Jerusalem and Luke uh, just kind of tells us stop by stop with only a couple of delays. And in those delays, uh, he is warned about Jerusalem. So here in this text, we'll see Paul giving some advice that he ultimately does not take. And so uh, he has set his face to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 21, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records for us the details of that journey to Jerusalem. Acts 21 verse 1, the word of the Lord says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kaz the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed up and went to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Nansen of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And so in this text, we see that Paul does not follow the advice that he is given by his friends. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word and we're thankful for the truth of it. And Lord, we stand humbly before your word. Once again, recognizing that it is perfect and our interpretations and understanding and applications of it are not always perfect. 
And Lord, we're dependent upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth and to lead us to know and to understand and to walk in your will. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us today. And Lord, help us to, uh, uh, to consider how we might evaluate advice that we receive from those who love us and care about us and are concerned about us. And how we might consider the words that they say and then ultimately help us to discern how we might walk in your will and your way for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom, even though it may cost us dearly. And so, Lord, help us to be discerners of your will and to have the courage to obey and to walk according to your will, no matter what it may cost us. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the scripture has a lot to say about, uh, about receiving counsel, about taking advice, particularly in the book of in the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no counsel, people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. A similar proverb of 15, 22, Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. And Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so the Proverbs tells us, you know, that we are to seek advice. And we are to seek out a multitude of counselors. That we are to receive uh, words of, of instruction and encouragement and advice from others. And I wonder if you have ever received advice that you have later decided not to follow, not to uh, to go according to the words of those who came to counsel and give advice. They've given you counsel and advice and you have chosen to go off in a different direction. I wonder if that has ever happened to you and if it has, I wonder what the consequences were uh, of, of not taking that advice. And in this text, we see that Paul is given advice. He's given counsel from those who love him and care about him. They tell him not to go to Jerusalem. They warn him about the danger that is awaiting him there. And Paul considers their advice and weighs that advice and ultimately decides to go to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he is arrested, he is imprisoned, he has to appear before uh, the Sanhedrin, the Roman governors, and ultimately he has to appeal his case to Caesar. And so we read this passage and we look at how it ends out and how it goes out and we might say that Paul should have taken the advice, that Paul should have taken the counsel of those that was given him if we simply look at the earthly results. He was arrested, he was imprisoned, and ultimately had to appeal his case to Rome. And so as we look at this text, we're going to uh, consider the topic of, of listening to advice, hearing counsel, and weighing that counsel, and then making a decision of what we ought to do in accordance with the will of God. So we're going to look at this council and look at uh, uh, and to consider things that Paul might have taken into consideration as he decided to go against the advice and counsel of his friends and to proceed on to Jerusalem. You know, first thing, let's, let's consider this advice, advice in the light of the, uh, the call upon Paul's life. Way back a long time ago, we studied in Acts chapter 9 about the conversion of, of Saul. Saul had letters uh, 
Saul had letters from the chief priest to go to Damascus that he might arrest anyone in the, in the way and uh, take them captive. But on the road to Damascus, he saw the Lord Jesus and he was struck and blind. He was struck with blindness. And he went into the town and the Lord appeared to a disciple named Ananias. And he told Ananias to go to the street called Straight and find Saul of Tarsus that he's seen a vision of Ananias coming and laying hands on him that he might see. And Ananias pushed back and said, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. And the Lord told Ananias, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so when we consider the advice, the counsel that the, the disciples entire gave to Paul when they told him through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem, we have to also consider the call upon the life of Paul. Uh, Jesus called Paul to be his witness before kings, before Gentiles, and before the house of Israel. And so Paul uh, has this calling. And uh, when he goes to Jerusalem, he ends up being able to address a large crowd of Jews, the Jewish Sanhedrin, Roman governors, and then ultimately he appeals his case to Caesar. And so when Paul receives this advice from the disciples at Tyre, he considers the call upon his life, and determines to still go to Jerusalem. And so these disciples at Tyre, through the Holy Spirit, warn him not to go, but Paul thinks about the call upon his life. And the second thing we consider as we look at this advice and Paul's response is the, the current mission that Paul is on. We have seen in the book of Acts that he has set his face toward Jerusalem. He has set his face toward Jerusalem and... Uh, uh, the primary mission or one of the missions is to deliver the gift that has been raised by the, uh, the, uh, the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. You remember that uh, we'll see the prophet Agabus in a little bit. The prophet Agabus came and said there was going to be a great famine. Uh, the saints in Jerusalem were impoverished and, uh, and Paul determined to make a collection for the saints at Jerusalem. We don't read a lot about it in Acts, but we read about it in his letters to the Corinthians and the Galatians that Paul had purposed to go to Jerusalem. Uh, Acts 19.21 says, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After that, I must also go to Rome. And so Paul goes to Tyre on the way to Rome. He, he, he meets these disciples, and through the Spirit, they tell him not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul has also to consider the mission that he's on. He has gone through, uh, he has gone through Macedonia and Achaia as he purposed. He has gathered the offering that they have collected for the impoverished saints at Jerusalem. And he wants to go and deliver this offering to complete the mission, complete the purpose that he has set out upon. And so he, he receives this advice not to go to Jerusalem. And yet, we also have to consider the purpose, the mission 
why he is headed there, the task that he is seeking to accomplish in going to Jerusalem. And so we consider the call upon his life. The Lord said he will be his witness to kings, to Gentiles, to the children of Israel, and he will suffer many things. He is on the way to Jerusalem to deliver this offering from the uh, Macedonian and Achaean churches to, uh, to provide relief for the impoverished saints in Jerusalem. And then we also see that as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he is hearing in every city the things that will happen to him there. He told the Ephesian elders in the text that we looked at last week, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. And so what Paul hears entire from the saints there in verse 21 of our text, um, I mean in verse 4 of our text, they found disciples entire. He stayed there seven days, and they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And so uh, uh, he, the Holy Spirit is warning him in every city that, that chains and tribulation await him there. And now through the Spirit, those people in Tyre receive that same message. Chains and tribulation await Paul there. And so they tell him, they counsel him, they give him advice not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul doesn't hear anything different in Tyre than what he has heard in every other city. In every city, the Spirit is warning him what will happen to him there, that chains and tribulation awaits him. And so he considers their counsel and that vice in light of what he has been hearing all along from the Spirit. In every city, uh, the people in every city coming and telling him, chains and tribulations await you there. And so... Uh, we, we consider the calling upon Paul's life as we look at this advice. We consider the current mission that he is on. We consider what the Holy Spirit has been saying to him all along in every city about his trip to Jerusalem. Here's nothing new entire. And then we also consider this advice in light of the example of the Lord Jesus. You know, the Lord Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, just as Paul has now. The Lord Jesus set his face to Jerusalem because it was the will of the Lord that he go to Jerusalem and that he suffer many things and that uh, uh, he suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. Jesus is going to Jerusalem because it's God's will that he be killed and that he be raised again on the third day. And so Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem in submission to uh, the will of God to be the savior of the world, to go to Jerusalem, die for the sins of his people, be raised from the dead, uh, and offer his people salvation by grace through faith in him and him alone. The Lord Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and told his followers that he would suffer many things when he got there. And when he did that, Peter, in one, in one, one instance in Matthew chapter 16, Peter takes the Lord aside and rebukes him. And he tells Jesus, far be it from you. Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter had just confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer many things, to be killed. And Peter said, no way, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. This will never happen to you. Do not 
go to Jerusalem and suffer those things. And the Lord turned to Peter and said, You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And so we also consider the example of the Lord Jesus going to Jerusalem, knowing that he would suffer many things and be killed. And yet, he goes. He goes against the advice, the counsel of Peter, one of his closest friends. And now Paul is being counseled by disciples, believers in Tyre, not to go up to Jerusalem. And he considers the call upon his life. He considers the current mission, the task that he is going to Jerusalem in order to accomplish, to deliver relief to the impoverished saints. He considers uh, uh, what the Holy Spirit's been telling him all along. And he considers the example of the Lord Jesus. And then, finally, number five, he considers what others are saying or what others are not saying. So we see him entire. The disciples there told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And then they get on the ship and they end up in Caesarea at the house of Philip the Evangelist. Now this is Philip the Evangelist, not Philip the Apostle. This is Philip, one of the seven that was set apart in Acts chapter 6 to wait on tables by the apostles at the church of Jerusalem. This is Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, and he also has four virgin daughters who prophesy. And so he goes to Philip's house. There are these four prophetesses, these virgin daughters who are prophets, but we notice they don't say anything. They don't deliver a prophecy. They don't give counsel or advice. Perhaps it's because them being women, they knew that they should not teach or have authority over a man. It would be inappropriate for them to counsel or advise Paul's companions and Paul himself. So they are silent. They don't say anything about the trip to Jerusalem, these four virgin daughters who prophesied. But a certain prophet named Agabus does come down from Judea. Now we've met Agabus before in chapter 9. He was the one that came and told them that a famine was going to, to, to come over all the world. And Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas at that point, gathered a collection, took relief to the, to the, to the church at Jerusalem, the impoverished saints there. And now Paul is on a very similar mission on his way to Jerusalem with the offering from the churches in Macedonia and Nicaea to provide relief to the impoverished church, the impoverished people in Jerusalem. And so Agabus comes, and Agabus, very much in the tradition of an Old Testament prophet, he acts out his prophecy. We'll see that in, in Jeremiah and uh, Ezekiel, a little bit in Isaiah, where the prophet sometimes would act out the message, act out the prophecy, and that's what Agabus does. Agabus takes... Paul's belt, verse 11, binds his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So there is Agabus' prophecy. The man who owns this belt, Paul, will be bound hand and foot and delivered over to the Gentiles. But notice Agabus does not add counsel or advice he simply says this is what will happen he will be arrested he will be bound he will be handed over to the gentiles but he does not add therefore do not go to jerusalem 
Agabus does not add that. He does not give that counsel. He does not make that interpretation. He does not make that application. He simply says the one who owns this belt will be bound, will be arrested, will be handed over to the Gentiles. But Paul's companions, including Luke, when they hear this message, when we heard these things, verse 12, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. All right, so I think what is happening in this text is that people who love Paul, the people in Tyre, the disciples, the believers there, they love Paul, they're concerned about him, they care for him, they do not want to see him suffer, they do not want to see him arrested, they do not want to see him imprisoned, they do not want to see him executed, and when they hear that when he goes to Jerusalem, chains and tribulations await them, which is a prophecy from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is telling him in every city, chains and tribulations arise him. He gets to Tyre, and he hears this message that he will suffer. He gets to Caesarea, and he hears that he will be bound and arrested and handed over the Gentiles. That's the prophecy. That's the message. Suffering awaits him. Chains await him. Tribulation awaits him. Arrest awaits him. But the people who love Paul and who care about Paul, they hear this message and they make the wrong application. They love Paul. They do not want to hear him, to see him suffer. They do not want him to be arrested. They do not want him to be taken captive as a captive to Rome so that they will never see him again. And so they hear the prophecy Change and tribulation awaits him. And they make the application in their mind and offer the advice, do not go to Jerusalem. We do not want to see you suffer. We do not want to see you experience pain. We do not want you to be arrested. We do not want it to be so that we will never see your face again because you're imprisoned by the Romans and then ultimately executed by them. And so they hear the prophecy that suffering awaits and then they make the wrong application, do not go to Jerusalem. And even his companions, we pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go. Don't go where arrest and change and tribulation await you. And Paul says, <laughs> Paul answered verse 13, what do you mean by weeping? And breaking my heart. These people loved Paul. And Paul loved them. And their weeping and their counsel and their advice pounded upon his heart. He loved them. They loved him. They didn't want him to suffer. And they were counseling him, pleading with him, begging him not to go to Jerusalem where suffering awaits you. And Paul says, that breaks my heart. Seeing your tears and your concern just pounds upon my heart. But then he says in verse 13, For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul recognizes their love for him, their concern for him, their desire not to see him suffer. But Paul recognizes that suffering is a regular part of the Christian life. And that because of the call upon his life, 
God said, I will make him be witness before the house of Israel, before Gentiles, before kings. But I will also show him what many things he must suffer for my name. He knows he's on the way to Jerusalem to deliver this offering that he has collected from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia for the impoverished saints that are in Jerusalem, the suffering saints, the, the poor Christians. He has collected this offering and now he has an obligation, a duty to deliver it to the people for whom it was attended. He's on a mission, he's on a, a job, a task that he must, must accomplish. And he's heard in every city, he hasn't heard anything in Tyre or Caesarea that he didn't hear from in all these cities that change and tribulation await him. He is following the example of the Lord Jesus who went to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to be killed there. And so Paul says, I am willing to suffer. I am not only willing to be bound, but I am willing to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He recognized that suffering was a part of the Christian life and suffering was a direct result of the call upon his life and the task that the Lord had given to accomplish. And so finally he persuaded his companions and they all submitted to the will of the Lord. Will the will of the Lord be done? In verse 15, after these days we packed and went to Jerusalem and some of the disciples from Caesarea went too. And then ultimately we see that Paul did the right thing. Paul made the right choice. Because after he is arrested, in chapter 23, verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And so it was the Lord's will for Paul to go to Jerusalem. It was the Lord's will for him to reject the advice and the counsel that he received from the disciples at Tyre and from his companions in Caesarea as they pled with him. It was the will of the Lord for him to go to Jerusalem. That he not follow the advice and counsel of those disciples and those companions that dearly loved him. And I think there's some lessons in this text for us. You know, sometimes we will receive bad advice from people who love us and people who care about us. Sometimes we get the idea that we must avoid suffering at all costs. And if we have a course of action that's set before us that looks like it might cause hardship, it might cause difficulty, it might cause suffering... Then, then people who love us might come and say, don't go that way. Don't take that course. I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want to see you in pain. I don't want to see you hurt. And they might tell us, don't go that direction. Don't go that way. Because we sometimes are spoiled and we think that it's God's will that we avoid suffering no matter what. But one of the ways we can avoid suffering is to fail to engage the enemy. When we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and we're born again by his grace, we are citizens of a, of a heavenly city and we are here in enemy territory. And if we are engaging the enemy, if we are fighting the fight, if we are engaged in warfare, advancing the kingdom of God, if we're faithful in preaching the gospel to those who don't want to hear it, if we're faithful of saying that Jesus is the only way to those who, who, who hate, the truth, 
then we will experience suffering. We will experience difficulty. If we are fighting the enemy, we can expect the enemy to fight back. And we might be counseled to avoid fighting the enemy in order that we might avoid suffering. We might avoid pain. But we have to consider God's calling upon our lives to engage the enemy, to advance the kingdom, to make disciples, to speak his truth. And sometimes if we choose that course of action, we will experience suffering, we will experience pain. And we need to ignore the advice to avoid suffering by avoiding doing what God has called us to do. Suffering is to be a regular part of the Christian life as we live here in enemy territory. And people might advise us, don't do something that's going to cause suffering. Do something that makes you happy. We have to recognize it's not God's goal to make us happy. It's God's purpose to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. Sometimes that happens as we share in his suffering, as we suffer for him. And so as we receive counsel and receive advice from people who love us and care about us, we have to evaluate that advice, that counsel, in accordance with God's will, God's will for our life, God's call upon our life. And the things that we've heard in the scripture, that suffering is a regular part of the Christian life, we cannot avoid it. And we dare not try to avoid it by failing to be obedient to what Christ has called us to do and the purpose, the task that he has given to us. So the problem is not with what the Holy Spirit said. What the Holy Spirit said came exactly true. Paul was bound. He was arrested. He was handed over to the Gentiles. The problem was in the interpretation and the application by those who loved Paul. They thought that Paul should do whatever it takes to avoid suffering. But it was the will of the Lord that Paul go to Jerusalem that he be bound, that he be arrested, that he be handed over to the Gentiles. Because you remember his initial purpose, his initial calling? He will, he will testify to me before Gentiles, before kings, and before the house of Israel. And when he went to Jerusalem, there was a great crowd, a great mob of of Jews to whom he proclaimed the gospel. He was able to appear before the Jewish Sanhedrin. They sent him to the Roman governors. And ultimately, he appealed his case to the emperor. He appealed to Caesar. And through that suffering, God's will, God's purpose was accomplished. And the Lord Jesus even affirmed it. You have testified for me in Jerusalem, and now... You will go to Rome. He went to Rome in chains, but he went to Rome. And he also, while he was imprisoned, he happened to write the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. <laughs> we have the words of Paul preserved. And so he, since he couldn't go to those cities because he was imprisoned, what did he do? He wrote letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And how many countless people Millions and millions and millions through the period of 2,000 years have been instructed and encouraged. They've been brought to faith in the Lord Jesus through those letters that he wrote while he was in prison. And we today can continue to hear the words of God through the pen of Paul that he wrote while he was in prison. And so we see God's sovereignty. 
And we know through the book of Acts that God can deliver his people out of hardship. He can deliver them from prison. He can deliver them from death. We see that in the book of Acts, but we also see in the book of Acts sometimes God's purpose is accomplished through his people being in prison, through his people uh, suffering hardship, through his people being beaten with rods, stoned and left for dead, and even like Stephen, stoned to death, and how fast the gospel spread like wildfire after the death and the stoning of Stephen. God can use the suffering of his people for the accomplishment of his purpose and the advancement of his gospel. And we need to evaluate all counsel and advice that we get according to that truth. But if the people made the wrong application and they knew that Paul was going to suffer in Jerusalem, that change and tribulation awaited him, but they were not to make the application, that means don't go. Why in every city, every city, God was telling Paul that change and tribulation awaited him? Well, it was so that when he got there, that those people who loved Paul would know that that suffering was the will of God for him and the accomplishment of his purpose, and it wasn't because Paul did wrong or Paul made a mistake. It was not because of the sin of Paul, but the will of God for the advancement of his kingdom that Paul was suffering. And I believe the Holy Spirit wanted those people who loved Paul to know that Paul was suffering for the will of God. And so sometimes we might receive bad advice from those who love us and care about us, don't want us to see us in pain, don't want to see us suffer. But we have to evaluate that advice. By God's calling upon our life, by the task that he has called us to, the purpose that we are on, the mission that we are accomplishing. The teaching about suffering and the will of God in the New Testament, we evaluate it by that. We evaluate it by the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who went to Jerusalem knowing he was going to be killed and he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, say no to himself, take up his cross, be willing to suffer and even die and say yes to me, follow me. The example and the command of the Lord Jesus is to be taken into account when we consider counsel and advice that we receive. And ultimately, it is the will of God that every one of his children be willing to suffer for the advancement of his kingdom, for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for his glory. It is the will of God for every believer that we be able to say what Paul said. I'm ready not only to be bound, but to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That may not be the path that he has outlined for us. We may not be bound. We may not die. But the call is for us to be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus even unto death and we need to evaluate counsel and advice that we receive according to that call let's pray Lord God we thank you for your word we stand before it challenged and Lord as we search our own hearts as your Holy Spirit shines the light into the deepest darkest places of our hearts and soul We have to ask ourselves, could I say that? 
Can I really say that I'm willing to be, not only to be bound, but to die for the name of the Lord Jesus? Willing to suffer, if that's your will. Willing to engage the enemy, knowing that he will fight back. Lord, are we willing to deny ourselves to take up a cross and follow you, no matter what it may cost? And Lord, we pray that you help us to understand and see as we hear counsel and as we give counsel, that it's not your purpose, your goal for us to be happy, to avoid pain, but it is your will for us to be conformed to the image of your Son, to be holy. And sometimes it's through our suffering that we are made holy. That those things that should not be there are burned away. And we also know that it is your will for us to make disciples. Teaching them to observe everything that you've commanded. Kicking down the gates of hell and setting captives free with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing that when we go to kick down the gates of hell, Hell will fight back. So help us not to shrink back from the battle. But to do your will, no matter what it might cost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I'm going to invite you to uh, take out your hymnal and turn to him. All right, our benediction from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.